Hello and welcome to Business Class Money Minutes. Whether you're a sole trader or finance officer or anything in between, we're the essential podcast for small business owners powered by American Express. I'm Nigel Cassidy, business broadcaster and writer, and alongside me, Bex. Great to be back again, Nigel. And I'm Bex Byrne Callender. I am a small business journalist and I've spent 14 years writing about that community and their challenges and triumphs and growth stories. I love it all and I get to speak to them every day. For this episode, we're delving into the world of cross-border payments. So that's sending and getting money internationally, which, it goes without saying, is pretty vital if you want to be able to trade abroad. Now, it can be famously slow for those payments to actually go through. And to illustrate that, I've got something for you here, Bex. See if you can guess what this is. Wow, that's either some really bad techno or it's an old dial-up modem, maybe? Oh, you're pretty close, actually. It's a telex machine. It's pretty noisy, certainly. I mean, it looks like a fax machine or a printer from the 80s. But the message format of the telex, would you believe, Bex, is still at the heart of how cross-border payments are settled today all over the world. No wonder it works at a snail's pace. So I know a little bit about this. You're talking about SWIFT, which is the Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunications. Tongue twister, I know. It's been around since 1973 and there are about 10,000 different financial institutions like banks in 200 odd countries sending and receiving financial information that way. And yeah, it can take a really long time. The best description for SWIFT that I've ever heard is that it's like going to another country, but there's no direct flight. So you're just hopping from flight to flight and you might be losing your luggage. You might get stuck in duty free. It's really inefficient. So really, this is the central issue for this episode. When cash takes an age to come in from a business partner in another country, it's probably not because the customer hasn't coughed up. It's the sheer number of steps and the general faff involved to actually get that payment done safely. And the Bank of England, no less, pointed out that some cross-border payments can cost up to 10% of the value of the transaction. So with all these extra expenses and hassles, businesses are actually hesitant about seeking customers in overseas markets in the first place. It's genuinely holding businesses back. Yeah, and that's sad when there is business out there to be had. So let's hear what it's like firsthand for small businesses and what's being done to manage some of those issues. We spoke to Dave Stevenson, the CEO of QBS Software, a delivery platform with more than 9,000 publishers and 5,000 resellers. So cross-border payments and foreign exchange are a key part of his business. That's right. And we started by asking Dave about some of the headaches he's faced with cross-border payments and how he's managed to solve them. The primary problem we tend to face is one of delay. You know, generally, if we make a payment, there are a number of uh, correspondent banks in the process and that they may have manual processes. They may be purposely slow. It can take longer than expected. There's also sort of hassle in setting it up. What we love is when we can take our database out of our system, push that straight into our bank system and the payments can be done automated. But there's issues there around insecurity that we always need to make a telephone call to the corresponding company to make sure their bank accounts are correct. And then there's risk around FX volatility. Occasionally, if something goes wrong or there's some poor execution performance from one of these liquidity providers, that we have lots of hassle. 
Okay, some quick background for you here. FX, which stands for foreign exchange, sometimes called Forex, is the marketplace where various currencies are traded by liquidity or currency providers. That's normally a financial institution that can quote you a buy or sell price when you're swapping these currencies for exporting or importing. But the important thing is, as Dave said, it's the delays that end up costing his business. Here he is again. Recently, we actually acquired one of our competitors in Germany. It's a bit like buying a house. You go through all the contracts, you come in and sign it, and the deal was not done until the money's arrived. So if you could picture the scene, we had like three or four lawyers from our company side, some of our management, three or four lawyers from the selling party side, and a couple from the bank as well. So I look around this room, I could just see a sea of lawyers, and I'm thinking... We're sitting here making uncomfortable small talk while we're waiting for the money to arrive. So I was thinking, this two or three hour delay is getting very expensive for poor Dave Stevenson. Each one of these is probably getting several hundred dollars an hour. Now, if that could be done instant, that would have been a much cheaper deal for me. And there's all these fees. It's a bit like going with a low cost airline, isn't it? You get all these sort of fees suddenly appearing on the bill. Does anybody know what they're for, whether they're justified? There there can be fees. There can be sort of one-off setup fees, transaction fees. But the biggest cost is timing. If you're not managing your FX correct and you're buying incorrectly, you know, you could sell the product on day one and get paid 30 days later. And if you don't lock in the rate, the currency can move way against you or sometimes in your favor. But, you know, there's an expression called sod's law where generally it can go against you. And what about this idea that many small or growing businesses are just not bothering with finding more customers abroad because they just find this too much of a hassle, it's too expensive and they fear getting ripped off? I mean, it depends on the type of business. The UK is a really large market. You know, there's 60 million people in the UK and it's a rich country and it depends on your ambitions. So certain businesses may not want to export Certain businesses may love to export. For me, it's the best thing we ever did. Expanding export made our business grow so much. And I think if you've got that confidence to try it and and start slowly, the rewards can be exponential. I would say now we're close to doing almost as much outside the UK as we did in the UK. Talk us through what sort of changes you've made. Obviously, not everybody's business is going to be like yours, but you've kind of re-engineered how you deal with payments The first thing you've got to realise, we've got to focus on the business, not FX management. It's quite easy to get distracted to be one of these currency traders. So we looked at the five key things which were important for our business was simple, secure, real time, good visibility and as low cost as possible. That's what we did. And we started building what we called our TMS, Treasury Management System. And it's how we manage FX. So we chose a portfolio of two or three uh, liquidity providers that we deal with. That also allows them to be competitive about the rates they feed into us. The second thing which was important for us is we wanted to automate as much as possible, extract the data from our, our base computer system and push that into our bank system immediately and allow them to bid for rates. And if something went wrong, we wanted a really, really reliable partner we could pick up the phone to and we could deal with that exceptional issue. And then when we do the trades, we'll just agree the margin at the time. And because of these liquidity providers are very quick, so we're getting real time, no dealing desk, we don't have to deal with anyone, it's computer to computer transactions, which improves on security. So we've, we've saved money, we've saved time, we've saved hassle. I mean, you're a software company. Clearly, you live and breathe all this kind of stuff. Most people will be scared to death by that whole process. And they'd say, look, I can't do that. I'm not qualified. So what's your advice to them? 
So I would simply find a local currency provider, pick up the phone and say, this is what I need to do. And then they will, they will walk you through that process. You're selling a number of dollars and buying a number of pounds. It really is as simple as that. And then just make sure that you can get the cost as low as possible. There's no risk and uh, there's not too much delay. Over time, it's getting quicker and quicker and quicker. So hopefully it will be the last time when we have to pay an army of lawyers to sit around waiting for money to arrive. So, well, I mean, Bex, what I'm getting from that is that it's kind of like our previous edition when we were talking about late payments. It's not just about sorting out how you get the money in. It's also about just looking at how you actually organise your business. You can't afford to have loose arrangements that are going to let you down. Oh, yeah. It sounds like security is paramount, number one. But also it looks like you have to be really proactive in finding the system that works for you to keep costs down. You can't just rely on your incumbent bank to give you the best deal. You really have to go out there, ask a lot of tough questions of different providers and then hone in on what works for your kind of business. And you'll be glad to hear, Nigel, that in October 2020, Swift promised it would get a bit more, well, Swift. It said that small businesses will now be able to make instant payments from 2021. So no more long waiting times. And no more of that old telex machine. Thankfully, no. It'll go the way of the fax machine and the beeper. Music to our ears. And add that to Dave's advice about how small businesses could save money, save time and hassle. What's not to like? Well, coming up in part two, we look to the future. Managing cross-border payments doesn't have to be a headache. American Express offers a suite of international payment solutions to help you get this done in a timely and secure manner. Your business can also earn membership rewards points for incoming and outgoing international payments to redeem for entertainment and vouchers. Visit americanexpress.com slash uk slash international payments to find out more. Terms apply. Welcome back to Business Class Money Minutes. Now, we've heard all about those hassles and headaches that slow cross-border payments and how they affect small businesses. But what's the bigger picture here? Well, we spoke to David Song, who's a leading policy expert at UK Finance, and he has his finger on the pulse of all things cross-border payments. And we started by asking him why the system has been so slow and expensive for so long. So it kind of it relies on quite a historic way of working, which is called correspondent banking. And that just means there's multiple people in the chain. So I've I've had recent examples of this myself. I was waiting for some money from Colombia. And effectively, what happens there is there'll be multiple providers. It could be a a large bank in the UK, but they won't have a direct presence in Colombia, for example. So what they rely on is a network of correspondent banks. So they will have a relationship with those types of providers, but the money itself only goes through as a message through the SWIFT network. So it has to pass through multiple banks in that scenario. And then the money's transferred either through local mechanisms or through the banks themselves. So it's quite a complicated process that sits behind the scenes. And and obviously, it's very difficult then to then track where the payment is. So it's kind of an inherited system that's built up over many decades, many years. Well, David, who is actually in the driving seat of change here? Who is regulating the systems and who's encouraging the banks and other providers to do things better? Well, there's, there's no kind of one driver here. I think that there's a... <laughs> Nobody's driving. 
<laughs> it kind of is a bit like that. You know, you've got lots of different players in this market and all of them are, are competing against each other. So competition is, is a big factor here. You know, governments often intervene mostly at a kind of what we'd call a, a local or regional level. So within Europe, within the US, etc. Most recently, actually, the G20, so what we call the Financial Stability Board, um, have been doing some more work into cross-border payments. And I guess for the really geeky listeners out there, if they want to read more about that, there's lots of reports and information that's been published by the Financial Stability Board, which looks at how we can make payments that go cross-border more efficient, cheaper and with more certainty as well. There's lots of providers here and and I'd say the big driver here is really the competition that exists in the market. So I have to ask the question, Brexit is coming. What is that going to do to cross-border payments for small businesses in the UK? I mean, do we even have an answer to that yet? We, we know some of the answer. So the certainty that we do have is, so the UK is part of something called the single euro payments area. And that's SEPA, some call it SEPA. That's effectively the system that exists on a pan-European basis that allows you to send euros in a very efficient means. And that's usually a next day payment. One of the emerging systems there is an instant payment system. Um, so you'll get your money in something like 10 seconds. And that's often been a, a cheap way and a very efficient way for small businesses to trade in, in euros. The good news is we'll remain part of that system. What we're not sure of at the moment is what fees may be charged by our European counterparts and also how that will work in terms of FX in the future as well. So there are some complexities there, but I think the overall good news is we will remain part of that system even post-Brexit. Well, okay, but I mean, how effective are all the payment systems which are available to small businesses here in the UK? And will these drive down the costs and the time spent? I'd, I'd say the UK really is pushing the envelope in terms of moving payments forward. And we, we are generally seen as a market leader. You only just have to look at some of the investments that we've got in the UK in terms of fintech and the developments around technology that we're seeing. And, and you can really see that we are a pioneer in this area. I think we will see things moving much more quickly. What I would say about payments, though, is one of the things we've seen, and this is you know very much data-backed, People are very resistant to new ways of doing payments. So you just have to look at contactless as a great example of that. It's taken since about 2005 or seven, I think it was, when the first contactless card was launched to where we are now for that to really see success. That's taken about 13 to 15 years to really launch. So people are very kind of well entrenched in their payment habits. It's not such a bad thing. People want to make sure that it works, that it's secure. But I think the underlying technology that sits behind the scenes is where we're really going to see innovation in the next next five or so years. There's lots of new advents such as things like open banking that will really revolutionise things in the next five or so years. There's also things around what's called central bank digital currency, which is much like a Bitcoin, but run by the central bank, so the Bank of England here, that could uh, materialise in the next 10 or so years. So we're really seeing a lot of change. You know, payments isn't the, the little kind of backwater it used to be 50 years ago. It's seen as something quite interesting, something very innovative now. And we're really seeing a lot of technological drivers and changes from a payments perspective so hopefully yes we will see a lot of change okay well that sounds promising bex and we heard about blockchain there now i think maybe you can help me out a bit on what that actually is Okay, so this is your cheat sheet, not the MBA. Blockchain is most famous for being the underlying technology behind Bitcoin. It's basically a ledger of transactions. So whereas today, as we've heard, money traveling across borders has to go through multiple intermediaries, 
blockchain streamlines the process so it just goes from A to B and there are fewer fees. Obviously, everybody likes to make money at something, but Deloitte and others estimate it's between 40% and 80% cheaper to use blockchain and it's almost instantaneous, so about four to six seconds. Takes almost that long to say distributed ledger technology. Very good. <laughs> so how is this coming to play on a larger level? Here's David Song from UK Finance again. So the, there's a couple of ways blockchains coming into play. The, the technology is generally seen by financial institutions as the way forward. So what you see in cross-border payments in particular is the technology, because the technology is what really is the, the secure aspect of this. And that's the piece that holds the most interest for financial institutions and probably for SMEs as well. The, the main thing I'd say is it's still fairly untested in, in real world examples. It's getting there, but it still has a little way to go. Okay, so as he says, some way to go there, Bex, but promising movement in terms of that new technology and competition potentially driving down costs and cutting delays for small businesses. Oh yes, all headed in the right direction. And some encouraging news for payments between UK and European firms post-Brexit. Well, fingers crossed on that one. So while things are set to change on the technological front, what are some of the things that small businesses can do now to improve their own systems for cross-border payments? Here's our small business owner, Dave Stevenson again. So the first thing you need to have a, a strategy and that strategy would be how, how you manage the foreign currency. And it could be as simple as you only accept currency, your local currency. As soon as you make the strategy that you're going to accept foreign currencies, you need to plan for it. That means having local denominated accounts, a really good relationship with your current currency provider, and then adapt for it. But does greater risk come with that? I mean, it seems to be like a complex thing to manage. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a trade-off. So it's sort of risk and return. You know, you, you are getting close to interbank rate, so the, the price becomes very simple. But asking them to support you connecting your systems with anything goes wrong, it's purely and simply of what decision you want to make as a small business owner on that risk-return curve. We have multiple currency providers, and what we look at is two things, is cost performance and execution performance. And over a period of time, you can generally see that there's a trend. You know, if we've got excellent execution performance and excellent cost performance, then that, that's the standout one to go with. And the only way to find out is by doing lots of transactions and shopping around. So that's brilliant. Once you get this FX management right, it allows you to concentrate solely on your business. And that, that's the key thing is because if you want to expand internationally, you have to learn how to do this cross-border payments. But once you get it right and you get a good system, then you can have a much bigger business and concentrate on running it. That's the single most important thing I've learned from doing it. Phew. So, Bex, what's your takeaway from all this? Yeah, there's lots to digest there. But it's promising to hear our small business owner, Dave, so enthusiastic about trading internationally, despite the hassle he found initially. Like so many things, it's worth the small investment of time at first to get to grips with cross-border payments. But once you do, there's potential for huge rewards, opening your business up to the world, just like he's enjoyed. Well, absolutely. And also, we heard about those new tools, the technologies in the pipeline that will drastically reduce the hassle and the cost for small businesses, as well as make things much quicker and improve security in the coming years. Well, Nigel, these things make all the difference in whether firms embark on importing and exporting in the first place. So great to see things moving along on that front. 
I think terms like FX and liquidity providers can seem a bit daunting to the uninitiated, but it's not as complicated as all that. Very true. And what we certainly can say is that in the future, cross-border payments are going to be light years away from that slow, clunky telex machine that we were listening to at the beginning. And that's almost it for another edition of Business Class Money Minutes. A big thank you to the two Davids, our small business owner, Dave Stevenson, CEO of QBS Software, and David Song from UK Finance. In our next episode, the race to be good, how to make your business sustainable. We'll be finding out how doing the right thing should boost your bottom line as well as easing your conscience. We're going to be practical, looking at what help is out there to make sustainability happen. And if you're a business owner looking for the latest trends and insights for your strategy, well, American Express has a world of content for you. Check out the Business Class Trends and Insights Hub for the latest articles and videos on everything related to small business finances at americanexpress.com uk slash businessclass. And you can also subscribe to Business Class Money Minutes wherever you get your podcasts. But for now, until next time, from Bex and me here at Business Class Money Minutes, it's goodbye and take care. Goodbye. <laughs>